Each year, no more than a handful will pass training. Every second word out of the mouth will be excellence. Everything has to be perfect, done to the highest standard possible. In the Irish Defence Forces, the Army Ranger Wing is the best of the best. With a gruelling selection process and the highest standards, it is elite and secretive, and wearing the Green Beret commands respect. Not least when its members are extracting Irish citizens from Afghanistan or taking down massive drug shipments. The biggest drug seizure in the history of the state, and more than two tonnes of cocaine has been ripped out of this giant cargo ship, worth a minimum of 157 million euros. But as Irish Times crime and security correspondent Conor Gallagher explains, the Army Ranger Wing is soon to see some big changes with more personnel, a greater diversity of functions and a new name, Ireland Special Operations Force. So why all the changes? Peacekeeping and peace enforcement missions are changing in nature. What's needed now is direct intervention forces who can go in very quickly and stabilise the situation before it gets any worse. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, Ireland's elite soldiers get an upgrade. Connor. You've been reporting that there are big changes afoot for the elite of Ireland's defence forces. That's the Army Ranger Wing. And it's going to get bigger and more powerful. Uh, It's also going to get a new name. From now on, it's going to be called the Ireland Special Operations Force. So maybe the clue in what's intended for them is in the name. But to start with, in broad strokes, why is this happening now? Why is this happening now? Well, there are several uh, reasons behind it. Actually, it was first uh, proposed in 2015, uh, but it's only now they're kind of starting to get their act together, putting these reforms and expansions in place. It's happening now as part of a broader reorganization of the Defence Forces and a recognition of international trends which are putting uh, special operations forces, or SOF as they're known, front and centre in terms of military planning. So the view is we're facing increasing threats from terrorism, such as hostage taking, you know, marauding attacks. The world is becoming an increasingly unsteady place where citizens have to be extracted at very short notice in very difficult and dangerous conditions. And that peacekeeping and peace enforcement missions are changing in nature, at least from the point of view of Western countries, where the old style of peacekeeping uh, force, where you send a couple of hundred guys in who stand between two warring parties and make sure they don't start firing at each other again, is kind of becoming a thing of the past. And what's needed now is direct intervention forces who can go in very quickly and stabilise the situation before it gets any worse. And all of these things are primarily suited to to special operations forces, such as the Army Ranger Wing. So these changes to the Ranger Wing reflect kind of Western military thinking as it is now. Connor, can we talk a little bit about the Army Ranger Wing as it exists now? Like, in my mind, its members are the elite. They go through much tougher training, high-level training. The people that end up in the Ranger Wing, it's highly selective. So they're the creme de la creme of the Defence Forces. Can you can you tell us about it? How, how many soldiers are in it, for example? How hard is the training? Uh, do a lot of people apply to join? Are there women in it? 
to go right back uh, to 1980, which is when it was first uh, established. Uh, before that, the Defence Forces had kind of played around with special operations. They had uh, things called special assault groups, uh, which were set up to kind of basically fight the IRA in the border area uh, when needed. In 1980, they decided to professionalise and consolidate those into a, a, an elite force, which became known as the Army Ranger Wing. They started it by sending a couple of officers over to America to train with the Green Berets over there, which would be one of the... They're the hard guys. Exactly, yeah, kind of one of the more famous and the original kind of special forces. Quitting ultimately means mission failure, and then special forces mission failure is not an option. A true quiet professional knows that wearing the Green Beret says more about you than you could ever say about yourself. And they brought back that information back here and used it to set up the, the Army Ranger Wing and also brought back the Green Beret. So if you when you successfully join the Army Ranger Wing, you get the coveted Green Beret, ah, okay. which is taken from the, the, the US Green Berets. So in 1980, its obviously chief job was to do with the troubles, um, the combat uh, siege situations, hostage taking, any kind of terrorism that arise might arise from the troubles. You also had a lot of um, aircraft hijackings uh, related to international terrorism at the time. So that would have been one of their secondary roles if that was to occur. Now... Then the troubles ended in Good Friday Agreement. A few years later, you had nine eleven, and so they were they were kind of refocused, you know, uh, uh, towards kind of international terrorism, hijackings. Um, so they have two roles in very broad terms: a green role and a black role. The green role is very much military style roles, so like long range reconnaissance, raids, that sort of thing. Then the the, the black role is the aid to the civil power role. So that would be kind of on-island stuff, such as hostage rescue, VIP protection, um, helping the guards with, with negotiations and that sort of thing, intelligence gathering. Now, that's a very simplistic way of putting this. To go into a little bit more detail, there's various task groups uh, within it. Now, they're all very small. One is focused on maritime operations. So that would be, they would train with the Navy divers down in Cork in combat diving. So combat they, diving? Combat diving. Extraordinary. Yeah. Um, I was actually down with them there a couple of years ago, the, the Navy divers and the, the, the training regime they go through is almost as extreme as the regime the Rangers go through. Then you would have uh, others that would be focused on, uh, say, sniping and uh, long-range reconnaissance, that sort of thing. The training is notoriously difficult. It's a 40-week course, and the first three weeks of that are selection. So the first three weeks are seeing if you have what it takes. And these are already soldiers? These oh, are yeah. So they come from... You can come from any branch of the Defence Forces, so Army, Naval Service, Air Corps. At any level? Uh, at any level. You have to be a three-star private or above. So basically, the, the entry point is quite low. It's passing selection, which is the, the incredibly difficult part. Each year, up to maybe 80 people might go for selection. The vast majority of them will wash out in the first couple of weeks. Some will get injured, some will just give up, some will just say, sorry, you haven't got what it takes, try again next year. And each year, no more than a handful will pass selection and then move on to the next more specific training. Uh, once you do pass training, you have to do a period with um, an assault group, which is the kind of the more general ranger where you, you kind of, you're a jack of all trades. And then you can specialize, say, in maritime. Um, interdiction and, and and that sort of thing. You asked if any women are, are, have ever been in the range of wing. No, 
they can they can they can become a member just as much as anyone else some have gone forward to training none have yet passed i'm told that they they don't think it'll be too long before one does qualify but as yet none have now we don't hear about the army ranger wing very often you know when we do it it's, tends to make headlines and one high profile situation was in 2021 when the US withdrew its remaining force from Afghanistan and there was chaos and the Irish Army Rangers went in. What were they sent to do and how did they perform? How were they judged to have performed? So they formed part of uh, an ECAT, which is an emergency consular assistance team. So uh, they accompanied uh, a number of diplomats from the Department of Foreign Affairs to get into Kabul and evacuate Irish citizens. Um, So they hitched the ride with the French Air Force over there and uh, established kind of a a base on the ground of Kabul Airport, which at the time was a massively chaotic uh, area. You need thousands and thousands of people trying to, to get out of the country and flee the Taliban. At Kabul Airport, the desperation is palpable as a mother hands her child over to a soldier. This wall is now a dividing line between the US-controlled airport interior and the rest of Kabul and Afghanistan, ruled once again by the Taliban. The Rangers provided security for the diplomats. They provided secure communications. They were able to process the people coming through. Um, you know, because you have to search people for weapons. You know, it's a really volatile situation. Um, they were able to provide medical assistance. Um, and they did very well. They were very successful. They were in a very dangerous uh, position. In fact, where they were set up there at the, the, the one of the entrances to the airport, where they were kind of looking for Irish citizens um, to bring to the, the Irish delegation, um, that was the subject of a suicide bomb attack just shortly after they left, which killed many Afghanis and several U.S. soldiers. They performed exemplary there, got everyone out that they were able to get out at the time. And indeed, you had a similar situation last year in Khartoum. Um, you know, civil war in Sudan. The Rangers were sent over as part of an ECAT with Irish uh, diplomats into a neighbouring country where they were able to extract uh, Irish citizens. Um, That would be one of their main uh, functions. Now, another mission, though, much closer to home, and I think we'll all remember it. It was only last year, but we'll all remember it because it was so dramatic. And that was the MV Matthew drug seizure. You know, we saw the images of commandos dropping down from helicopters onto the boat. And the boat we know now was carrying 157 million euro worth of cocaine. I mean, that to me was like an advertisement for the Rangers. But um, can you describe what the contribution of the Army Ranger Wing was in that mission? Because we know it involved several, several branches uh, of the state's defence apparatus. Yeah, you couldn't think of a better demonstration of the the skills and the need for a special forces unit than the MV Machu interdiction. The weight of cocaine involved was 2,253 kilograms. This is the largest drug seizure in the history of the state. Uh, so it was officially called Operation Piano. Uh, I think it was only given that name later because amongst <laughs> everything else, people have forgot to give it a cool sound and name. Uh, as you said, this involved the Army Ranger Wing, the Air Corps, the Naval Service and Revenue and Gardaí. So the ship was 
coming in, they were afraid it was going to flee. Uh, they knew it was containing massive amounts of drugs. The Ranger Wing officers brought a plan to the Minister for Defence, Mial Martin, outlining what they could do in this situation. And he signed off on the plan. And then everything happened very, very quickly. So uh, the boat was sitting too high out of the water for a, a water interdiction. So perhaps the preferred method would be to send guys in uh, inflatable dinghies, basically, to the side, and they can uh, climb up the ladders to the side and then take over the ship. But the, the ship was riding too high in the water for that. It was also manoeuvring um, uh, quite dramatically. So the decision was made that they'd go in by helicopter. Helicopter hovered over the, the, the ship and uh, several... Um, rangers uh fast roped down so basically like just slid down this rope uh onto the ship um while someone in the helicopter uh with a sniper rifle basically kept watch uh, o- o- over them they took over the ship detained the crew i believe there was a, a bit of hand-to-hand kind of tussles so to speak but they quickly took over the bridge um and found the cocaine in one of the the life rafts uh some of this was caught on video. Uh, uh, so really, really impressive operation. And kind of, yeah, as, as you said, trust the Ranger Wing into the, the headlines, which is not something they're entirely comfortable with. You know, they, they like to operate in secrecy. Um, they like it when people don't hear about their exploits. But I do think it was a boost for them as well, considering how well the operation went and, and how well their, 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 their abilities were showcased especially given the um, lack of resource they had. So previous drug interdictions, like the, the last massive one in two, off Cork in 2009, I want to say, uh, that had three ships. Um, and if you're dropping someone in by helicopter, you should by rights have one helicopter dropping the guys in and another one, another one providing overwatch. We only had one helicopter available, and that was actually the air ambulance based on that loan that they had to press into use to ferry the special forces guys. But anyway, everything went off without a hitch, pretty much. I believe actually maybe one guy suffered some minor injuries. But um, so that really showcased the uh, the abilities of, of, of the wing. And, and crucially, you know, some of the jobs of the Army Ranger Wing, such as uh, in Mali, where they undertook long-range patrols with uh, German colleagues as part of the MINUSMA uh, UN mission there, that could technically be performed by a, a normal infantry uh, reconnaissance platoon but this an operation like piano could only be performed by special forces who have these really specific skill sets and spend 90% of their time training for something that might never happen coming up I continue my conversation with Connor Gallagher after this short break So just after Christmas, you broke the story that the Army Ranger Wing is to undergo this major reform that we've been talking about. And you've explained briefly what it is and why it's happening. But maybe can we talk in a little bit more detail about it? Firstly, what will the reform look like? How is it going to be different? You mentioned the name change. And that seems to be consistent, as you say, with other armies around the world. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it will immediately signal to perhaps countries we're working with that this is the special forces group rather than just a... a, The rangers, which could mean nothing. Yes, exactly, exactly. Now, um, the name will change. Probably the ethos will remain the same. So, you know, 
the Green Beret, the mottos they have, the the, the customs they have, um, and probably they'll still be called the the wing uh, internally and colloquially. But that's kind of only the cosmetic stuff. The the really important stuff is happening under the surface. Um, one of the, the the main things is they're setting up a directorate uh, of special uh, operations forces. So this soft directorate will be in Defence Forces headquarters and will have a seat at the top table. Um, and that means it will become a much bigger part of military planning. So the people representing uh, special forces will be at the top table when they're, you know, considering how they might approach a problem, who they might send on a, a peacekeeping mission, or you know who might provide that aid to the civil power. That'll be a subtle but very important change in the deployment of the Ranger Wing, which might take a, a few years to come to fruition. Uh, other things that are happening is it's going to be put under the uh, command of a lieutenant colonel. It's currently under the command of a commandant, which is kind of a mid-ranking officer, being under a higher ranking officer will give it a little bit more status and a little bit more input into that high level planning. Uh, it's getting new um, infrastructure, a new base, and the Cura is going to start work. Uh, there's going to be work on that this year. And it's also getting all sorts of cool new equipment, new boats and weapons and all that sort of thing. And crucially, it's undergoing uh, an expansion. Now, the Ranger Wing is made up of kind of two broad groups. One is the operators, and these are the guys who, you know, would be kicking down the door and, you know, telling people to get on the ground. These are the tip of the spear. Uh, They'd be the most highly trained. But then you've got the supporters and enablers. And these are the people who operate kind of just behind the front line. So they might be manning a heavy machine gun. They might be a driver. They might be a communication specialist or an interpreter. Or they might be someone back in base organizing logistics. They might even be just the cook. So a whole new set of functions opening up. Well, yeah. So... Previous, these supporters were taken kind of an ad hoc basis from other units, and that might leave that unit down a few people. So basically, they go around and take the best people from other units. Now they want to formalize that. They're going to have a new training process for these guys. The, the idea is these guys will come in, train, uh, not to the highest standard that the operators train to, but to a very high standard. Uh, and then after a few years, we'll ro- rotate back to their old unit and they'll be able to bring that skill set back to the old unit, thereby raising the kind of uh, proficiency of defence forces overall, which is one of the main goals of the Ranger Wing when it was first established uh, in 1980, was to improve training for all of the defence forces by being at the kind of cutting edge of military doctrine and, and, and training and technology. They're actually quite happy with the number of operators they have. It's classified, but it's believed to be a few dozen. As I said, only a few people get through every year. They're happy enough with that. What they do need is lots more of these supporters and enablers, and that's where this expansion will will, will come through, and that'll bring it up to you know total manpower of a few hundred. Now, also, it's been restructured internally into three uh, task groups. So you will have uh, a maritime task group. They'll be based in Harbolan, which is the Naval HQ in Cork. And they will be responsible for things like um, interdicting uh, ships, combat diving, as I said before, boarding ships from boats. Uh, you will have an airborne unit, which will be based in Baldonnell, which is the Air Corps headquarters. They'll be responsible for things like parachuting, fast roping. And the idea is eventually they'll actually have their own air- aircraft specifically for them rather than having to borrow from the um, Air Corps. And then you will have the standard one, the Special Operations Land Task Force Group, I think, which is a bit of a mouthful. And they'll do the, the kind of 
basically the land-based stuff. So long-range reconnaissance, hostage rescue, that sort of thing. But everyone will have to do a bit of everything. Now, the thing we hear, though, most often about the Defence Forces is that it's underfunded. And all those things that you've just talked about, all that sounds really, really expensive. Uh, it is expensive. Any Anything to do with uh, the military is expensive and only getting more expensive. Uh, but we're still talking pretty small numbers. Um, so, you know, at its height, it's not, not going to be any more than a few hundred people. In comparison to the other problems the Defence Forces have, it's a drop in the bucket. Um, so the cost, I don't think, will be substantial when compared to, you know, other parts. You've said that a move towards expanding the special forces is a trend in militaries across the world. And so we're in lockstep with that. But what are the factors driving this trend? Uh, is it, we've talked about the drugs trade here in Ireland. Is it terrorism? Is it just the febrile international situation? What What is driving the trend? Yeah, well, terrorism is a, is a, is a major thing since the rise of ISIS. Uh, you know, that's it's been very much front and centre. The fear of, say, marauding terrorist attacks that we've seen in Paris and, and Belgium and, and other EU countries. Mercifully, we've been spared that, but, you know, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. The situation in Palestine and Israel, there's also concerns that it's going to increase the terror threat. So that's one aspect. The other aspect is international operations. So Ireland has a long and proud history of, of, of peacekeeping, and the Ranger Wing have played a, a significant part of that. Uh, they've usually been employed as kind of pathfinders. So they will uh, go in ahead of a, a much larger force and gather intelligence, make sure everything's safe, um, and, and lay the groundwork. And then the, the larger force of ordinary troops will go in and, and will stay for several years. Uh, so they did that, I think, in Chad. Uh, they did it in East Timor. You know, that wasn't peacekeeping. That was peace enforcement. They were going out there and they were finding people and in some cases shooting those people um, who were a threat to the peace of the area. They've been in countries like Liberia, Central African Republic, and most recently Mali, which has now been stood down. Just under 200 people in Unifil, in Lebanon, uh, Undof in Syria. There's We have a large contingent there. Those forces are becoming somewhat of a thing of the past. You know, Unifil's not going anywhere, but Undoff has been, our involvement in Undoff has been wound down um, soon. There hasn't been a new UN peacekeeping mission mandated since 2014, I believe. Um, and that's because of the deadlock in the Security Council, basically. Russia uses the threat of the veto, so it doesn't even get to a vote. So the idea is that we're probably going to be looking at smaller, more specialised, short-term interventions to stabilize situations um, and it'll be done through the EU mostly. So we've got these EU battle groups which have been set up. We're contributing a mechanized infantry company to that which is just under 200 people. The Rangers aren't involved in that but in the future they might be. So say if a government falls you know in a West African country and you want to get in there and stabilize the situation before civilians start being massacred you might send a special forces group in uh, and they might prepare the ground for a larger, more permanent force. Uh, but that'll take take place under the auspices of the EU. So the thinking is this is probably the future of peacekeeping and peace enforcement rather than those big static UN um, deployments, at least from Ireland's point of view anyway. Well, from Ireland's point of view also, when we talk about the army being deployed abroad or defence forces being deployed abroad, neutrality always comes into play. And 
Last November, Micheál Martin, he announced a change. He said the triple lock was going to be no more. And of course, the triple lock is a big part of how Irish neutrality works. And just to explain, the triple lock means that if we want to send troops overseas, there needs to be three permissions given, one from our government, a Dáil resolution, and a mandate from the UN Security Council. That's now to be dropped. Look, I know this is a massive question, but briefly, why is it being dropped and what will replace it? So it's been dropped because uh, it's the view of the government that the UN Security Council has become a hindrance uh, to the deployment of peacekeeping missions. As I said, there hasn't been a a UN-led peacekeeping mission mandated since 2014 because the permanent five countries have a veto and they've been increasingly willing to use that veto. A lot of peacekeeping missions which need to get off the ground just aren't getting off the ground. The government's view is that the Security Council shouldn't have a decision over where we can send our troops as a sovereign nation. So we want to take part in EU-led missions. Um, But if an EU-led mission has been launched and it's vetoed by, say, Russia, under the current system, we couldn't take part. So it's about taking the decision-making, I suppose, and the sovereignty back from the Security Council in regard foreign deployments. Connor, you wrote in 2021 that there was a lot of dissatisfaction in the Army Ranger Wing over pay and conditions. And also the fact that they were simply not being deployed enough um, and that numbers were dwindling due to all these factors. I, I mean, I assume the hope is now that with this revamp, that's going to reverse that. Do, do you think that's enough? Could be. They've won a major battle uh, last year when they won an argument with the Department of Defence to uh, uh, get extra allowances. So their their allowances for being in the range wing has been significantly improved, uh, which will no doubt help attract kind of the type of people that they want. The range wing has never had trouble getting applicants. What it's had trouble sometimes is getting applicants of the highest standard. So what they don't want to do is lower their standards. Uh, so as Defence Forces numbers have they've declined that means that there's inevitably a decline in quality of the people coming Mm. through for for selection and training but they can't drop their standards because they have to be the best of the best you know they you talk to one of these guys and every second word out of the mouth will be excellence everything has to be perfect done to the highest standard possible um so that that resulted in you know, only a tiny number of people coming through every year. Right now they're in okay shape, I think, but it's the support personnel they need coming through. Uh, I think these revamps will really help. Uh, The fact that they'll have bases in Cork and uh, Dublin will help um, a lot. And there will always be people who want to test themselves as well to be, as you say, the best of the best. Conor Gallagher, thanks very much. That's it for today. For more of Conor Gallagher's reporting on the Defence Forces, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode is produced by John Casey. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow.